In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. And welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Kyle the Athletics Jesse Temple, along with you. <laughs> all right, plenty to get to here over the next hour. We will get into all that happened down in Champaign, the uh, craptastic show that was Wisconsin and Illinois. We'll take you inside the postgame media session to get you what the players were saying after that uh, unimaginable loss. And we'll also get to your Twitter questions as well. They were all very, very positive, so I'm looking and anxious to uh, to get into those late, later on. But, Jesse, my gosh, 30.5-point favorites. Wisconsin goes down to Illinois. Point spread-wise, the biggest upset in Wisconsin history. They lose 24-23 on a walk-off field goal. They blow a 13-point lead. Then they blow a 9-point lead in the final minutes. It was as bad as they played, and it was almost the exact opposite. All things that went wrong almost the exact opposite of everything that had gone right all year. Sometimes when we talk about these games right after they happen, we can it be called, it can be said that we're prisoner of the moment yeah. situation here. Um, I don't I don't think that's the case here. No. This is the most catastrophic loss. I can, regular season loss, uh, I can remember in the regular season since I've been covering Wisconsin since oh. 2011. So that's nine seasons, which by, I know doesn't go as far back far. as your memory. Right. My, my, I got I got some other ones in mind, but it, but that one certainly comes up. And I this say one is, that is up there. We've seen some bad losses when Wisconsin turned the ball over five times against Iowa at home and lost 10-6, <laughs> and Iowa wound up winning the Big Ten West. Yeah. The game against Northwestern in 2014 when Tanner McAvoy got intercepted in the end zone, got benched. Joel Stave came in after not playing a single second, and through three interceptions. But to me, this is more so because of the start that you mentioned. It felt like this team had a chance to be a college football playoff team based on what we saw through six games, which none of us anticipated early in the season before right. the games. Yeah. So I think that sort of amplified what we thought was possible. And Illinois had given up almost 40 points a game during a four-game losing streak. And so you just think... This would be impossible, yeah. and yet Wisconsin lost the game right on the cusp of playing what would have been one of the most significant Big Ten regular season games, again, of this decade. And it's still important. I yeah. don't want to diminish that importance, no. but it's just not the same. And this is kind of inside baseball, but on the elevator ride down to, or maybe it was an elevator ride up from the from the locker room, you were talking with one of the colleagues from ESPN who had, a, I'm assuming, had a great story Ohio State Wisconsin story that was going to be great it was going to you know it, it was going to be a huge story and now it's just non-existent like you can't even can't even use it anymore um that is that is the least of anybody's worries but it that just kind of like that's how big that's how expected this win was obviously and what was going to be the biggest regular season game in recent memory next week and according to ESPN stats and information this was the biggest upset in a Big 10 regular season game since 1982 when Northwestern beat Minnesota and Northwestern was a 32-point underdog. So, yeah, Wisconsin's team doesn't set the spread, but based on how they played and based on how Illinois played, this is certainly one of the worst losses that I can remember. No, it definitely is, and I went back and looked at all the other times that they had lost as a top-10 team to an unranked opponent. It's happened seven times. They're 49-7 and 
which it's not a horrible record. I mean, 49-7 and seven, uh, as a top-10 team against unranked opponents. And there have been some, some doozies. Uh, you go back to 2004, they lost to Michigan State 49-14. to 14. It was tight at the half, but if they had won that game, they would have won the Big Ten that year. You go back a few years earlier, and you look at the 1999 game against Cincinnati. That was the first time it had happened. That was the team that was in the top 10, Ron Dane, all those guys, and they lost that game at Cincinnati. And that, I think, is as close to this loss as you could possibly get. But it was a non-conference loss. They were not 6-0. and They were not uh, dominating the teams as we had seen this team do. So you kind of it's kind of a little bit a little bit different. That team would lose the next week to Michigan and then rebound and run the, run the table and win the Big Ten and win the and win the Rose Bowl. So I mean, there's some positive to come out of that. But that Cincinnati team ended up three and eight that year. This Illinois team, I don't know if it's going to win. What are they? Two and four now. Two and they got three wins. They so got three and they got four three now, maybe. Three and four, yeah. I don't know. That Cincinnati team probably on the same level as as this this Illinois team, but it's just different because where they were in their season. But it happened for a reason. There are plenty of reasons why it happened, and I think that's important. But what were you going to say? Well, the most mind-boggling thing to me about this loss is if you look at the stat sheet as a whole, I'm asking, how in the hell did Wisconsin lose this game? The Badgers had possession for almost 41 minutes. They... Uh, were effective on third down. I think they were 9 for 17. They outgained Illinois by over 100 yards. And it's like, this is the formula for success at Wisconsin. And also the fact they had a 13-point second-half lead, and they were up 9 points with 8 minutes to go. They got a critical fourth and one stop with 8 minutes, 11 seconds left. And you think, that's it. Game's over. And they find find a way to lose. And there's, there's no other way to put it because that's what you call snatching defeat from the jaws of victory (laughs) (laughs) two turnovers on the last two possessions and the defense just it was not the defense that we had seen and that was the most surprising probably so all those those all play in i would say of all those stats that that you pointed out all the stats that they i mean 420 yards was the most in a non-overtime loss since that 2014 game that you mentioned before, where, where they, I mean, they had they had more yards against Ohio State in 2016, but they lost that. That was in overtime, and they lost that game. But uh, in terms of a loss, 420 yards, and you lose the game. The stat that maybe a little bit is further down there is the red zone. Yeah, and they were not successful in the red zone, including twice inside the 10 yard line. They had it in the second quarter where they couldn't get the ball inside. They had it first and goal, I think, at the seven, and they couldn't get in. And inexplicably ran the ball on third and five from uh, in that situation out of the shotgun. Don't worry, folks. We'll get to that. The shotgun thing. Um, but and then three shot, three chances from inside the three yard line, including twice at the one. And you run Jonathan Taylor once, doesn't get in. And you run John Chanel twice, he doesn't get in. You kick the field goal to go up two possessions. That right there, to me, is the game. Because instead of settling all year, they've been so good in the red zone, especially inside the 10, running the same plays over and over and over again and just running it right down people's throats. And they tried to do that again this time, and Illinois said no. Because they Jonathan Taylor ran the same on the same uh, play that he scored in the third quarter. Paul Chris said they came back to that. They stuffed it. And it was just it's uh, surprising, I think is the word. I think other people use different words. To, get, to give the ball to John Chanel twice after that. Yeah, I, I mentioned that on Twitter right as it happened. You've got the best player on your team, one of the best players in college football, 
and he doesn't get the ball. And he was stuffed the first carry, but that's why you yeah. keep going back to the well. And and they didn't. And I can understand maybe one fullback dive or one just. Right. To, but but the third down one especially is just kind of like ah really. But you that's can't a- you can't. The decision to kick the field goal, you can't question that because, as Paul said, you're going through all the scenarios. It's a two-possession game. I don't look at that well, as, and well, you said that's the game, but I, it is the to, game. But David Mormon me, said the game was. He goes, well, sure. We were it, at the one-yard line. We had three chances. We couldn't get in. We score. We win that game. But to me, it's it's Taylor's fumble is is even oh, because he, for sure. he already had the first down, yes. and if if... If he doesn't lose the ball, they're going to milk three more minutes off the clock, probably. If he's not Jonathan Taylor and fighting for extra yards and trying sure. to make something happen, if he wasn't being himself in that moment, yes. That to me is is that's there's the, no single that's the thing about this that's you know you can't say ah this is the one play that cost them the game. There were so many things that added up. Yeah. I mean, defensively to give up two 40 plus yard touchdowns when they had given up in the first six games one play of 40 plus yards, they gave up two that both went for touchdowns against Illinois. And the Illini, really, they gashed Wisconsin yeah. in ways that I just couldn't believe. The second play offensively for Illinois is a 25-yard run from Reggie Corbin, and then Corbin winds up with a 43-yard touchdown yeah. run. And then there was the 48-yard touchdown pass that Eric Burrell missed a tackle on a slant route. Right. And that's only the beginning of the issues defensively because, obviously, they fell apart in the fourth quarter, too. Yeah, couldn't tackle there for that last possession. Uh, it looked like they were trying to knock the ball out as opposed to tackle the guy, and uh, he was just bouncing off and bouncing off. But yeah, 141 yards given up on the ground when you've given up 44 per game coming in. And even before they lost the game, watching what Illinois was doing and, and watching some of the guys running free down the field was already giving people a bad feeling of what was going to happen this next Saturday coming against Ohio State because you feel like there's there's uh, similarities offensively in trying to spread teams out and, and a lot of one on one what we saw in the you know in the Big Ten championship game a couple of years ago that it was already uh oh kind of kind of feeling but Illinois just delivered and they kept fighting and Wisconsin I don't want to say Wisconsin folded but you know after Jonathan Taylor's fumble four plays it took Illinois four plays to go right down the field and score and then they take nine plays thirty two yards to go and kick the game winning field goal like that's when you need your defense to step up. Hadn't been on the field barely at all, so you can't blame it on being tired. And they couldn't get off the field. It was weird because it just has not happened this year. And Illinois is not better than any of the teams that they've played this year at all. And so I wonder, did they lose confidence? And how do they bounce back from that? I don't, uh, you know, I don't. I would not want to be the person trying to get them to bounce back from what happened on Saturday because I don't know how you do it. And I, I know they have a huge, huge game that you can look forward to and be like, we can, we can do this, but... That has to leave some doubt in your mind, you would think. And I wrote a story about that on, on The Athletic that ran this week, and they said all the right things, but what do you expect them to say? You know, well, I no thought switch. Jonathan Taylor... No yeah, switch. the no-switch angle. Glad, that, that, glad that, I got that one out of the way before that <laughs> loss. I thought Jonathan Taylor had, had something interesting to say. The very last thing that he said yeah. uh, was basically like, I mean, of course they're going to... There are more opportunities, there are more games. This is not the last game of the season. And if you think that, he basically said, "Then you're not going to be playing, right? Because you know you you can't approach <laughs> things like that." I thought that was a good way to put it, but it was to me, and I'm sure you will play this uh, in, in the yeah. locker room soundbite. The most telling quote came from Zach Bond because it was a moment of honesty. I think that you don't always necessarily hear, like right after a loss, where he said he felt like the the mental preparation and the the energy was not there. 
that was pretty surprising to me for one of your senior leaders to say that right after the game. Now, some of the other guys said they didn't sense that at all during the week, but he also, did say that, and that was interesting. It, it was, and it's also like they were prepared, but they mm-hmm. weren't emotionally prepared. Like, I don't even know what that means. I don't know. But he, if he like, feels me, like something that, was off. But to me, that that's weird. Like, that we were we were mentally prepared. We were physically prepared, but we weren't emotionally prepared. Like he called it a trap game. <laughs> he did. He did tra- call it a trap game. I think you'll ask a lot of football players. Uh, this was kind of a a joke uh, earlier this year. Aaron Rodgers was asked by John Kuhn, who used to play fullback for the Packers, "Is this a trap game?" and and Rodgers laughed at him because when they were in the locker room and media people would come up and ask them about a trap game, be like, "There's no such thing as a trap game." Like, come on, there's not. And so for him to bring that up, I feel like he's hearing everything that was said all week that it's, it's a trap game, and maybe that that stuck with him because I don't understand not being we're mentally prepared, physically prepared, but not emotionally prepared. Like, I, I, is that just you did not bring enough energy? Like, is that what it is? I think that's what he was saying. That's what I gathered he was saying. He was the only one that said it. Yes. And maybe that's just him being honest and the rest of them not, but... I don't know. It was kind of telling with Quintez Cephas a couple times, especially on third to last drive where they went down and got inside and weren't able to finish. But you could see him like, I don't know, someone must have lit a little bit of something on his butt because he was getting after guys like in the huddle, like clapping, like trying to get people juice because it probably it was lacking a little bit, I thought, not just on not just on defense, but on on offense as well. So I don't know. It's a tough way to <laughs> to lose an unbeaten season, especially just days in advance of what we talked about, them getting ready to face Ohio State on Saturday down at the Horseshoe. They are already 14.5-point underdogs in that game. All right, wanted to get into a few more things, and we'll start with the shotgun slash pistol rather than being under center. It was a huge thing on Twitter uh, during the game. We had, Look, this is going back to the Northwestern game. We talked about it after the Northwestern game, how big of a shift it was from what they had done the first three games of the year. Northwestern was like 70, 30 percent percentile in terms of being under center or being in the shotgun pistol slot to under center. I think it was way more than that. They only had nine snaps under center. But they only, I don't think I don't know how many plays they actually had either. But OK, either way, it was significant. And then the next game against Kent State and then also against Michigan State, not nearly as much. It went back to, I think, 70, 30 under center to being in the shotgun and the pistol. And come Saturday, what do we see? Sixty nine percent of their snaps were from the shotgun slash pistol as opposed to being under center. We, or I should say you, after the Northwestern game that Monday, asked Paul whether there was some reason for it. I think we've talked about this already, but I'm, I want to bring it up again. And, and and he was like, you know, just it gives us our best chance to win. I asked him if it was anything Northwestern did. Just give us our best chance to win. And this is on me. I knew what the answer was going to be. I probably should have asked it anyways on Saturday, why they went back to that after having uh, as little success as they did doing it against Northwestern. I didn't. Maybe we'll ask that on Monday. I think I'll get the same exact answer. But I just I don't totally get it. And to be fair, in the snaps, in the uh, 20, 23 snaps that they had under center, not a, whole, not a ton, a ton of production from that either. But I just I don't get changing your offensive identity so drastically between games uh, when you are Wisconsin and you do things one way and you do it better than anybody else does it and to let them off the hook and let them you know not have to deal with potentially a power and maybe it had to do with not having Mason Stocky again 
but they, they didn't worry about that the previous week. I don't get it, and I don't understand it, and I doubt I'll get any kind of answer for it. It's interesting because the two games we're talking about are the two where they struggle the most offensively. Now, they put Maybe up 420 they... yards, so they, so they moved the ball between the 20s, but you know, inside the 20, they weren't very good. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to say on this matter because I'm not inside the coach's room, and I don't know what their line of thinking is, and, and I, think, I think when we have discussed this previously, you could make the case that in the Northwestern game there was potentially a reason that maybe maybe Jack yes. was banged up. Now we don't have that confirmed, obviously, but you know he took some serious shots the week. My before eyes confirm that. I know Zach. Zach feels pretty strongly about that. I, I don't know what the reason would have been for what they did against Illinois. Oh, I didn't. T- I, I asked Jack about it this week, and he said he was one hundred percent. And I asked him if he got dinged up against Michigan, and he goes, "We don't. We don't. We're not supposed to be talking about that kind of stuff." I said, "All right." But my eyes tell me exactly what we need to know, and uh, him limping away from every snap after that, despite the fact of him scoring touchdowns after the injury, running touchdowns, is toughness. I think we talked about this last week. But either way, I just I don't totally get it, and, I, and it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, and I'm not sure it ever will. But I would be surprised if we see it this week. Yeah, I... Um I would think you got to stick with what works, especially in the most significant game of the season. But we haven't really talked about moving ahead yet to Ohio State yet. I'm sure we're going to get to that. But here's the one thing I wanted to say that the, the weirdest thing about this Illinois game, Illinois didn't run a single play in the red zone, still won the game. <laughs> Wisconsin has not actually trailed with any time on the clock ever this season, lost the game. Yeah unbelievable i just it's really hard for me to wrap my head around and i'm sure i'm not the only one how wisconsin actually lost this game other than the reasons we laid out but when you when you factor in all these numbers and the fact that they're up by two possessions with less than eight minutes left against a team that had stunk i just can't believe what happened it's kind of funny we went down to the field or I, i went down to the field there's probably like seven minutes left eight minutes left and i rode down with Two people, they had no idea who I was, but I know that one of them was the SID for Illinois, and he was talking with another reporter about, yeah, you know, we, we put up a good fight today. We put up a really good fight. You know, they, they you know, a couple plays here, a couple plays there, that fourth down just there, and he's talking like the game was over. And then you get down to the field, and like the first play on the field is a Jonathan Taylor fumble. And pretty much nothing went Wisconsin's way the rest, of the, the rest of that that eight minute uh, that eight minute portion of time. But when I look at their offense, I thought Jack saved for that one interception. I'd like to. I mean, we'll talk about that interception because it was a play that they had killed Illinois on all day. Jack, uh, Jake Ferguson had a huge day on that that corner route. Every single time Jack Cohen threw it, it was it was open and he found his guy. And on the one play they absolutely desperately needed it to be, he said, and you'll you'll hear this coming up, he, he said he didn't get enough depth on the route. Jack took the blame on himself. But you go back and look at it. They had run that play over and over and over and over and over again and had been so successful that the guy that was guarding Garrett Groshek just kind of leaned back and just played right into it, read, read Jack's eyes, and Jack threw it right to him. It was good. That was a nice play by the defensive back. But when you run the same play over and over and over again, you run the same route, and you need a play, and you need five yards to move the sticks, they knew it was coming. He, and he, he baited it and got it. It was an impressive play. Yeah, that one's on Jack. I mean, I'm not, I was yeah. watching it. I saw, there's multiple guys there, too. Like There are. But, I, it was, but it was the same play that they had run all day. I should say not the same play, but the same route 
that that they had beaten, and they'd beaten Michigan State with it too. And it's 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 funny because it was so surprising because we've come to expect Jack this season not to make a mistake like that because that's only a second interception on 100 and however many 50 plus throws. Well, it's why I have zero problem with them throwing the ball in that situation. There were people in I was up in Green Bay today covering the covering that game. And there are a lot of amateur coaches wondering why they were throwing the ball in that situation. And I think it's largely because Jack has been so good with not turning the ball over this year, obviously. And I'm, you know, punch myself in the face for saying this, but it's a horrible time to have it to happen for the second time. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yes, but it's a play that had worked and I don't necessarily have an issue with that whatsoever. Having said that, yeah, I think Wisconsin can still. I mean, Wisconsin well, you, somehow figures out a way to <laughs> beat Ohio State, top ten team, really? back on track to win the West. No, I'm this, just saying this. This guy over here, this guy over here, I think pretty much every guy that I was around you that you talked to on on Saturday. Now that your goals, now that some of your goals are, uh, yes. are all gone. All our goals are still in front of us? No, but you were saying all, now that your goals are all gone. I didn't say all gone. Mostly And gone. I didn't word it you, that way either. That was essentially what you were asking. You're like, you, your biggest goals are, are now very, very difficult or, or not, you know, kind of out of the way, not, like not attainable. You're, like that's putting, how, you're putting words that's into how, my mouth. Yeah, I no, word them carefully <laughs> in a way to suggest they are more challenging, but not impossible they will have to go back and listen no i i I, I took it no i I, like when i'm I'm you're not going to the playoffs i'm sitting there okay there you go that's that's what you were i was being mr optimist i'm i don't think they're beating ohio state i'm just gonna say that right right right, right. but like this was yeah but like like, that was the question and i would and every time you would ask it and you asked it just fine like the question's fine i'm just thinking to myself yeah but if they beat ohio state now and then maybe they get penn state the big 10 championship game is this loss going to kill him? And I'm thinking to myself, why even thinking like that? Because it would be more surprising. Here's the question. What would be more surprising? The loss to Illinois or the win over Ohio State? The loss to Illinois. Now, it's coupled. <laughs> it, it, it's two together because, right? So that's the part of it. Is Knowing that what you it, know now. Right. It, it, it makes it hard to believe that they could beat Ohio State based on how they played. And to me, that's the big question. Like if they had beaten, I was thinking about this. Wisconsin should have won that game 30 to 14. They didn't play well. It's still it's like 23 to 14. You know, they still got the ball with 8 minutes left. They go in and score, the game's over. They win 30-14. You think, "Ah, that's people would have still been upset." Yeah. But they didn't play great, but you know, they they got the win. They it was a trap game. They yeah. made it out alive. They're 7 and 0. Yeah. And your entire perspective about what you think of this team is is it's just totally different. And so, it is. but, but I, I say all this because what they did on the field against Illinois makes you question, is it even humanly possible that that team can show up a week later and not just compete with, but actually beat one of the very best teams in college football, which to this point, in my mind, may be the best team in college football. Ohio State won the national championship in 2014, and they're playing everybody's good, if not better, yeah. than that team. Right. So, but... To answer your question, more surprising that they would lose as 30-point favorites than potentially beating Ohio State. And I say that because they have been close with the Buckeyes several times here in this decade. Yeah. Um, even just two years ago, one drive away from going to the college football playoff. But I just, I don't know how after what we saw, it's possible that they go in and win. But if they do, top 10 team again. Yeah, most of those close games have either been on, well, I shouldn't say that. The 59 nothing game was on a neutral field. 
They the tw- played them the close in 2013 in Columbus. That was the last time they were there. I believe... Uh, it was respectable. I believe... Uh, Jared Aberderis made himself some money that day against Bradley Roby. He did. I'm trying to think, what's uh, what, the quarterback's name um, for Ohio State that day? He was coming back from an injury. I think he threw five touchdowns, and now his name is... He's now a wide receiver. Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller? Miller? Yeah. Threw yeah. five touchdowns that day, and then a year and a half later... He, <laughs> The third string quarterbacks throwing five touchdowns against Wisconsin or whatever, uh, whatever. Um, now I'm forgetting his name too. The Cardell Jones. Cardell Jones. Thank uh, you very yes, much. Yes, yes. The the fifty nine nothing one. Yes. Yeah. You know it's hard to keep track of all these. It is. Uh, but they also have the two thousand. They haven't beat them since two thousand ten, but they had a lot of success against them from nineteen ninety two to two thousand ten. Beat them a ton of times, including once. When they were the number three team in the country, that was that 2003 game. Matt Shaver to Lee Evans also beat him, also tied him when they were the number three team in 1993. But they're 4-9-1 all time against against uh, number three teams in the country. And that's what Ohio State will be come next week, or come Saturday, I should say. Let's get into that a little bit. How, how does Wisconsin bounce back, and how do they refocus after what I can't even imagine as bad of a loss as Wisconsin's ever had? What I think- was the feeling there? I think the refocus thing, and again, I wrote about this, but I still, I sort of think maybe it's overblown in some respects. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to stop caring because you lost one game. Well, if you don't care this week, you're going to be embarrassed as a program. And so, just before, it looks like you want to say something. I do. Before we go any further on that, just because they lost one game, do they do they lose? Care, do they not care anymore? Is that essentially what? I'm just saying, like, the notion of, like... That idea, They right? can't be focused for this game because they lost to Illinois. You talked to some former players, and I have, about the 2008 team and last year's team, and where there was a lot of individual talent on those teams, and after early losses in a season, kind of fell off and did not... I'm not saying care, but there wasn't the same level, level of intensity, same level of energy, same level of everybody focusing on one goal as opposed to focusing on individual goals. What was this, the level of this, expectation this, coming into those seasons? Well, that's what I'm saying. It was very high, and once you lose once, this is, uh, actually, he said it on the air. Bill Nagy, who was on the 2008 team, the, the former offensive lineman, said that that was certainly the case. Go look at some of the NFL careers that the guys from t- that 2008 team had. A lot, a lot of successful guys, and they should have been a lot better team than they were that year. Now, they didn't have a quarterback. That certainly hurt. Last year, a lot, a lot of individual talent on that team. Very, very high expectations. This is not me saying that they just that they didn't care. This is not me saying that. This is him from an outside perspective, but also being around the team sometimes that there was not the full buy-in the rest of the year after those after the early loss to BYU, and then they went to Michigan and got stomped, and it was kind of like all downhill from there. It's hard for me to make a comparison with this year's team, though, because I think they've. Oh, this they, is completely different. They've shown a, a level of togetherness that, I, in hindsight now, I, I don't know if we... I also ask about that, like, aren't all teams that are 6-0 and close and sure. love each other and feel good about what's going on in the locker room? But the other thing is, this... I mean, it's true. This season isn't over. Like, It's not over if they, at all. If this is, again, that's not me saying this. I'm just... I'm saying... Right, but, but I'm the saying idea, there's no reason... Right, but you're saying the idea of it possibly coming into somebody's mind that you lose one game and now the rest of it is not important. It has happened here before. I I guess when I made, I know when I made that comment, I wasn't speaking for any other previous season. I'm speaking for the moment right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand on other teams when the expectations are so high and you lose a game, you're not supposed to, and you're totally deflated and you don't think you can achieve what you sought out to at the start. 
that's not the position they're in right now. They're 13th in the country. They're going to play the number three team in the country. If they win, you know, they're back. They're top 10, top eight. And if, again, it's perception a little bit. You think now, well, they just lost to Illinois. How could they beat Ohio State? But if they somehow do beat Ohio State, then you say, okay. Perception changes. How again. could they lose to any of these other teams? And then all of a sudden you're back on track to potentially go 11 and 1, win the West, get back to the Big Ten Championship. That's what's riding on this game. This is a bigger deal in terms of what this game means than to me and what that loss was to Illinois. I mean, it was a huge loss, the most stunning loss we have seen. But if you come back and you beat Ohio State, you're back in business. You may not get to the college football playoff, but just the fact that we're even having this discussion about a team that I don't think any of us thought that would be a possibility six weeks ago says a lot about how far they've come. The only thing I'll say to that, and maybe it's because the Big Ten is perhaps viewed better this year than maybe it has in past years, but Ohio State lost to an Iowa team, got blown out by an Iowa team, lost to a Purdue team. They get blown out in that one too? Yep. That's Ohio State with one loss to inferior teams. Didn't get in. They did not get in. Correct. And so we're going to sit here and say that Wisconsin, with a loss to Illinois... I don't think to, so. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Even if they win this week, even if they go 11 and one, and then win the Big Ten championship, I still think unless you know unless chaos plays out in front ahead of them, they're not going to be in it. Like it, it just does not. Like you can't lose that game. Like that's not a game you can get by. in in, in now, I know certain people that are. It's college football playoff or bus, but you can still have a very successful. You can still win the Big Ten. You can still get to a New Year's Six bowl game and win a, you know, potentially. Is the Rose Bowl an option this year? I haven't, I haven't looked ahead, but I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But like those things are still out there, but I think it's unrealistic. So when you were asking your question, like the biggest goals, I don't think, it, I don't, I don't think it's a, <laughs> I don't think it's a bad idea to sit here and say that it is unrealistic, but that is not how they probably are thinking about it uh, in advance of Sunday's or Saturday's game against an Ohio State squad that has been uh, as dominant on both sides of the ball as any team in the country. and Precedent, though, by the way, on losing to a bad team. Clemson in 2017 lost to Syracuse by three points. Syracuse Clemson went 4-8. and eight. Clemson did. I'm just saying. Clem- did Clemson win the national championship that year or the year before? That was 2017. That was 2017. So um, it was the year before then. Yeah. So they were coming this- off a national championship the year before. Yeah, this time they lost twenty four six to Alabama in the semifinals. Uh, yeah, in the in the playoffs. But yeah. it's not impossible, but I think I'm with you. And now we have no way of knowing what would potentially happen with some of these other teams right. falling by the wayside, but that is you're a right. catastrophic potential loss. Right. Yeah. No, you're situation. right. And look, Ohio State in twenty fourteen lost to a bad Virginia Tech team at home early in the season, came all the way back. Wisconsin and Gary Anderson handed them a nice fifty nine to nothing loss and uh uh, or win, I should say, and made everybody feel very warm about putting Ohio State in the playoff, and they went and ran the table and, and won the national title. So either way, Wisconsin's margin for error? Slim to none. Ohio State, man. Zero. We haven't talked about how good they are, by the way. <laughs> We've just talked about Wisconsin. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins may be every bit as good as Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I, could, I mean, you could make an uh, argument that he's better right now. He was. They were unbelievable against Northwestern. And Justin Fields... One interception all season. He's got 22 touchdown passes. And I think 30 total touchdowns or 29 total touchdowns with, you know, when you count in the running. Yeah. And they've got seven different guys who've caught at least two touchdown passes. They're just, and defensively, they'd be number one if it weren't for Wisconsin. And I just, I just, man, 
<laughs> it's hard for me to fathom that Wisconsin could go in there and win, but we've seen how good Wisconsin has been. I just, Ohio State's on another level right now. All right, time to go inside the post-game media session. For the first time all year, it did not come with smiles. In fact, it came with absolute disgust, a lot of disappointment. That's what happens when you lose as a 30-and-a-half-point favorite and watch your unbeaten season come to an end on a game-winning field goal. Linebacker Chris Orr had only one thought as that kick went through. Uh, disappointment. Yeah, just disappointment. No other emotion, to be honest. Disappointment. And why that disappointment? Uh, the way that we didn't execute. Oh, they just out-executed us. We had a good game plan. Felt good going into the game. Just didn't execute. Pretty good team over there. They had good players. Oh, they just outplayed us today. They certainly did in the fourth quarter. That's when Illinois had 137 yards, overcame a nine-point deficit. They were helped by two key plays. First came right after the fourth down stop by the Badgers. Jonathan Taylor fighting for extra yards on a second down run. Fumbled. Illinois recovered. Uh, you know, really not doing a good job of protecting the ball, fighting for extra yards. You got to understand when you're you know, you're down, or not and you're down, but you're trying to make something happen, and, you know, you're fighting for those yards. You got to make sure you got, you got two hands because you don't know who's coming around you and you don't know what's happening. Illinois promptly took the ball right down the field, scored a touchdown to pull within two points on Wisconsin's next possession as they tried to run out the clock. Jack Cohn was intercepted on a third down pass. The pass was on a play they'd run with so much success throughout the entire game, a corner route to Jake Ferguson. It's just a simple corner route. I, put, I kind of put that one on myself. Didn't get all my depth that I should have. I mean, it was there all game. I was getting my depth, and then the one I don't ends up in a picks. For his part, Cohn wouldn't let Ferguson take the blame. Yeah, I wouldn't blame anything on Jake. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to my decision-making, so it's definitely on me. Illinois then used nine plays to go 32 yards before the kicking the game winner. It was a soul-crushing loss, and it was definitely felt in the locker room, according to Taylor. You no, know, it stings. It always stings when you lose, you know, especially when you know, you, you've been rolling, it always hurts. I don't know anybody at this level who is fine with losing, but it definitely hurts you know, when you see that field goal go in and time expires. So how did it get to that point? Well, a number of reasons, including three turnovers, failure in the red zone, a missed field goal, explosive plays given up on defense, and then not stopping the run. In other words, all the things, outside, I guess, the, the field goal miss, that they'd done so well all year. Among the more head-scratching, the failures inside the 10-yard line. That included in the fourth quarter. Ran it three straight times from inside the three-yard line. Could not get in. Taylor had no explanation for it. No, those are those are plays that we got to make, you know, especially in the red zone. Those are times where you must get in the end zone. And uh, we got to make sure that guys are in the right position. We got to make sure guys are hitting the right hole. And we got to, those are times when you have to get in when you're that close. Guard David Mormon said it cost him the game. We got the ball in the one yard line. We didn't punch it in like, we punched it in that game. You know, we win the game. So we'll we'll figure it out and you now we'll get better. And hopefully going forward, we'll get the ball in the end zone and be more efficient in the red zone. As for that missed field goal, it was the lone mess up on special teams all day. Colin Larsh went three for four, probably had his best day but it was the miss from 37 in the third quarter that had him blaming himself for the loss that's my job to make that kick and i shoulder most of that responsibility because i left three out there we lose the game by lose the game by one point and that's on me you can't take any less responsibility for that that's my job that's why i'm out there i was trusted to make the kick and i didn't 
and that's got to go make the next one. Uh, the issues on defense, probably the most startling. They allowed Illinois to gash them for 141 yards on the ground. They sacked Brandon Peters six times, also surrendered plays of 22, 29, 43, and 48 yards. Those last two were touchdowns. Zach Bond gave credit to Illinois, also pointed the finger at himself and the rest of the defense. They got good running backs, a good scheme, uh, good coaches. Like I said, they just made plays, and um, our tackling wasn't, wasn't up to Wisconsin standard. Another issue seemed to be a lack of energy, which is almost difficult to accept considering their whole mantra all year, this whole no-switch thing that we talked about last week, obviously meaning that uh, no matter who you're facing, you bring it each week. Bond said they did not do that. I don't think we played very well. Kind of a trap game playing here in Champaign against a team like Illinois, and I feel like we didn't have the fire we had in previous games going into it, and had a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, or kind of disagreed with this fellow linebacker. Maybe initially, yeah. Uh, I could say that probably initially, but you know, we started making some plays, got the energy up. It was just a roller coaster of emotions, you know, all game. Just had to keep battling, and they ended up, you know, outdoing us. Some suggested the uh, batters were looking ahead to their game against Ohio State this Saturday. That was the reason that they fell to an unranked Illinois team. That was not the case in Orr's mind. No, not at all. No. Nah. We, we, we just flat out got outplayed and out. They just executed their game plan more than we did ours. Um, we, were, we were for sure locked in on them, you know, not looking ahead at all. They just you know, outplayed us today. It left Wisconsin having to watch another team's fans storm the field, troll them actually by playing jump around. Left them 6-1, and one, very difficult mountain to climb if, if they want to think about getting back into the conversation for the college football playoff. But the message was consistent from the leaders, including Taylor. The overall message was it's a lot of opportunity out there. This didn't end our season. We still have games left to play, so you have to come back with a focus. If you thought the season ended today, then then I don't know what to tell you. You, you won't, probably won't be playing because we definitely have a lot more opportunity out there. Another one of those team leaders, Tyler Biotish, says their focus can only be on one thing now. Now it's just Ohio State, and that, that's the most important thing in our minds now, and it's just, you know, get it out of your system tonight and, you know, just keep going. I mean, look, you got to look forward. I mean, one of our models is forever forward in this program, and I think you got to keep, you got to look forward. You can't look back, you know, because nothing's going to help you if you look back. You know, you can, you can learn from it, but, you know, I think you just got to focus on the next step, and our next step is Ohio State. Saying it, doing it, two different things to a man, including Orr. He says they will bounce back not let it impact them next week against the third ranked Buckeyes no I don't I don't think it'll be tough to to refocus um, my message will just be you know, not to let Illinois beat us twice you know you can't uh, soak in this loss or worry too much about this loss and then you're gonna end up losing next week if you do that you know don't don't let one team beat you twice that'll just be my message all right time to get into our Twitter questions we'll start with Chris he asked, despite being a 30-point dog, am I wrong for thinking that Illinois is way better than what everyone gave them credit for coming into the game? Yes. <laughs> I can only base it on what they put on the field. And they lost to I thought they, Eastern Michigan. They have some quality players. They, they did some really good things. Like Reggie Corpin, good player. Brandon Peters, even though he was terrible. Except his, for that, his numbers were bad, but he came up. Except for that last two drives. The yeah. last two drives, he was, per, he was great. Yeah, his his numbers were. He was nine for twenty one, and before what, what, he was like six for seventeen, I think. I remember when I went down on the field, I was looking at the box score before then. Yeah, he was six for seventeen. But they have players, oh, yeah. which almost makes it more head scratching that they've been this bad. Right, and that's why I think a lot of people. Here's the here's I don't know is this a positive or a negative thing that I think they may have just saved Lovey Smith's job. 
positive for future teams that may play Illinois? Is that what you're That's asking? what I'm asking. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's an okay. I think it's a fine. I think it's fine. I think it's a good thing for, for Wisconsin that... I mean, Lovey Smith and his staff, I think they're good recruiters, but I don't think they're, they have not developed talent very well. Um, they, they haven't won games. That's all right. you can measure it on. Right, right. And losing to Eastern Michigan, and everyone thought that they were going to get pounded by Wisconsin, and they didn't. And so that, that may be the savior for them. I don't know. We'll see. However, they also did beat uh, Lucy Minnesota 40-17. to 17. Scored 25 straight on Michigan, though. They did. Still lost. lost. Lost that one 45-28. to 28. So, all right. Hugh asks, Illinois has some great athletes and ex-pro coaches. Did they come up with anything fresh that UW had not seen all season, which gave them a slight edge? In terms of just spreading the field, we, Wisconsin had seen that before. They went up-tempo. They Which did, I thought. but Wisconsin's seen up-tempo. I mean, South Florida wanted to run 90 plays, and it, it doesn't work if you don't get first downs. Yes. But Illinois went two for 10 on third down. So it's not like they did a great job there either. Like, the, the stats just poop. And that, it goes back to the whole thing Mike McCarthy uh, used to say this all the time. Stats are for losers. Uh, in that respect, they are. Uh, because Wisconsin beat them in every statistical category and lost the game. So it's, it's kind of irrelevant. Adam wants to know, why can't we have nice things? Because if you have nice things, then you just think you will always have nice things and you won't appreciate it when you have bad things and then get that nice thing once. Does that make sense? I don't know if it does. Uh, I was it, trying to play therapist. No, it does. When you have nice things, you're more prone to break, break those nice things. You're more, more prone to, I mean, yeah. you, you can play or you play so conservatively with it that it leads to you fumbling it. I see where you're, where you're going with Perhaps this. Perhaps tossing it away accidentally not by, not on purpose and you know someone else picks it up or someone grabs it out of the air and takes it with them that happens and uh, sometimes you know there's nothing you can do about it except sit and cry for a day and then get ready for somebody to come in and steal a whole bunch of other nice stuff the following week not saying ohio state steal anything that's that is not what I'm trying to say. If anybody got that impression from what I was what I was going there, uh, Chris asks: College football is so unpredictable. If you play like crap against any opponent, you're going to lose, especially on the road against a team giving you their best shot. Am I wrong in chalking this game up to Wisconsin playing bad all around rather than than them getting exposed? Exposed. I think that's a big word. It is, but I think a lot of people are saying Wisconsin got exposed yesterday as a fraud. I think, oh, people are saying they're a fraud. Yes. I don't know about that. That's 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 tough. That's a tough one to you know you, you have to ask is that poor performance negate everything they accomplished in six games? And in some people's mind it would. I think that's a fair question, but I, I don't think saying they were exposed as frauds in my mind is accurate. But I think Illinois took advantage of some things that other teams could also take advantage of. But that's that's college athletics. Right. I mean, unless you're Alabama or Ohio State, there's only a handful of teams that this stuff, I can't even say doesn't happen to because Ohio State loses these games. So maybe it's just Alabama. So, I, so everyone was wondering, you know, seven games as a top 10 team losing to an unranked opponent. I, when I posted that on Twitter, there was one person that said, That's got, they got to lead the country in that, in that st- statistic. Uh, Ohio State's lost seven since 2007. They lost They're a top times. ten team every time they play, and that's what I added on. Thank you, Jesse. Uh, that's what I I'm added here on. To help. That's what I added on in the tweet. I said, obviously, they play a lot more games as a top ten team than Wisconsin does, but it's not like it only happens to Wisconsin. It happens to other teams. It happens to the best team in the Big Ten. I mean, the seven losses for Wisconsin are dating back to 1993. 
Ohio State has seven since 2007. So obviously a lot more games played in the top 10, but Paul Christ has the best winning percentage of any Wisconsin coach as a top 10 team against unranked opponents. He's 19 and two. Brett Bielema was 13 and two. Barry Alvarez, 17 and three. So, I mean, they've all. Gary Anderson, zero and zero. Can't, you can't lose in the top 10 if you don't play, if you're not a top 10 team. Wait, you're looking at me confused. Were they never a top 10 team no. in those two seasons? In those two seasons? He only had two seasons, though. Let's let's just be fair here. Paul Christ had, was, in his, was in the top 10 in his second season, despite what Gary Anderson left him. <laughs> not that we're all going to sit the rest of the, the episode and, and bash Gary Anderson, though. I think that could be a very good time. Uh, moving on, Richard asks, why was the O-line reconfigured yesterday? What we saw was, for the first time, obviously, Cole Van Landen at left tackle. It was David Mormon at left guard to start the game. It was Tyler Bjadich at center. Logan Bruss making his first career start at right guard. And then Tyler Beach making his first career start at right tackle. I think David Mormon also making his first career start at left guard. So he had three first year, first-time starters, not overall, but at those positions. Paul Christ indicated after the game that there were some injury issues. And Jason Urban specifically. Jason Urban, yeah, specifically, which normally you would have seen him at left guard. And, rotate, and, and rotating, and they did rotate throughout the rest of the game. So that has something to do with it, and it's certainly not an ideal situation at this stage of the year. You want to go with your same five, and we we're talking to Joe Rudolph about this. If it wasn't this week, it was last week about what his ideal situation was with an offensive line because it's sort of become – the way of the college football world now where you're not just playing five, you're rotating guys. If you have a sophomore, you want to get him reps because the next year he may be a starter. And he said, I mean, he's in a perfect world. He'd love to just play five like it was when he was on the offensive line in the early 90s. But so not ideal, but I think injuries clearly played a role in, in some of this at least. Well, Chris, for the first, I can't remember him ever saying this before, but he goes, that's one of those things that leaves you open to some criticism. And I'd never heard him say the word criticism before regarding outside perception of, of what they were doing. But I thought, you know, I, yes, uh, Jason Urban was down, but you still had your two other guards. Mm-hmm. Why were they not just the, the two guards? Sel- and, Seltzner and, and Lyles the whole time. Yes. And, and you know, and Bruss at right tackle is Beach that much. I mean, I mean, you're moving Bruss into a guard spot that he has not played at all this year. Now, he played it in, in fall camp but he had not played it in the game at all. David Mormon had spent most of his time on the right side, either between right tackle and right guard, and you're starting him at left guard. It, that does leave you up to open to some criticism, and we'll see if uh, you know maybe they're healthier come this week against Ohio State. C.T. Badger asks, did the fullback injuries contribute to the offense's ineffectiveness? Obviously not having Mason Stocky, who I think, just in my opinion, and I'm not a fullback expert, but I feel like he's a better blocker, than John Chanel at this point. And they're both, I guess, relatively new to the position. I think it has to be taken into account because you wound up seeing Quan Easterling on the field. And he buried Third his string fullback. And buried his guy on the first play that he had an opportunity uh, on the touchdown to uh, Jonathan Taylor's touchdown in the third quarter. But I think he was on the field when they were on the goal line. Um, the first play he was. Yeah, the one that went to Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. Because they ran, the, they ran the, the exact same play mm-hmm. and got stuffed. Well, it didn't get stuffed. He got two yards, but he didn't get it into the end zone. Yeah. So run that play two more times, man. So if you're asking whether it hurt is, or impacted the offense to not have your best blocking fullback, I think the answer is yes. It's also the same play that they ran on all of Jonathan Taylor's touchdowns against Central Michigan. It's a play that they continue to run, and people know what's coming. And 
it hadn't mattered to this point. They even ran it out of the out of the uh, I almost said barge. They almost, they ran it out of the hippo. I was kind of surprised we didn't see that. Maybe it's be, maybe because of the injuries, but I feel like you still have enough offensive linemen out there. If Jason Urban's the only one that you can't play, you still have seven other guys that you can you can throw out there and use. But they are hurting in, in that respect. There's no doubt. When's the last time Jonathan Taylor's run extremely well against a Power Five team? Michigan. Well, right. Didn't run. I mean, I wouldn't Northwestern say Northwestern Michigan State, and I wouldn't and say Illinois. any of those were no dynamite performances by him. And certainly, we all know how good he is. The blocking in 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 that respect. Um, I will say this: I did notice something watching the game back was Illinois was holding on the offensive lineman a ton. <laughs> Um, not allowing them to get off their guy to get to the second level. I watched one play where Caden Lyles is trying to get off of him, and the guy's got his jersey like pulling the other, the other way. And I feel like that is that happens all the time. I feel like that's a big part of defensive line play um, and offensive line play. I actually reached out to a former offensive lineman to ask, you know, if that is, and I haven't heard back. But I noticed that a couple of times, and you would think that that plays a pretty big role if guys aren't able to get to the second level and, and make plays. Southern Badger wants to know how the basketball team looks. <laughs> uh, Micah Potter looks good. Probably won't be available till December, although trying to figure out a way to play sooner. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're looking for something uh, positive, I would not, I would, I'll be, I'll be honest, I would not look to the basketball team. Um, Ouch. Okay. We, we will be doing the, uh, the swing again this year. We're back. The, season three, baby. Yeah, the, uh, the basketball podcast. We'll be getting that going when the season gets going. It's actually not too far away. They they play their opener, their exhibition game on November first, and they open the season, I believe, November fourth, up at uh, against St. Mary's up in South Dakota. But the red white scrimmage not exactly blowing people away with their shooting. It was kind of like they picked up from where they left off at the end of last year. Someone said they're already mid season form. I said no, no, they're not mid season form. They were really, really good in mid mid season. They were shooting the ball really, really well from three. We've turned this into a basketball podcast no, just, for I the did, biggest game of the year. Just wanted to end that. No one did ask about Ohio State. How does Wisconsin beat Ohio State, Jesse? I think it's got to be all the things Wisconsin did well in the first six games and the things that they didn't do well against Illinois. It sounds simple and probably silly, but you sure as hell can't turn the ball over against Ohio State because they're going to take advantage, especially if they get a short field. You've got to win the time of possession battle, in my mind at least, because that limits Ohio State's opportunity to get some of these explosive plays. And I don't know what this is going to look like because we've only seen Jonathan Taylor go against Ohio State once. That was a 2017 Big Ten championship game, and they stuffed him. Yeah. I think he had 41 yards rushing. He did. So They also went right down the field on him in that first on that first drive, and then Alex Hornibrook throws, throws the inexplicable interception. Yeah. You know, in the end zone that yeah. they wind up getting the long touchdown pass. Right. Right. And the only reason they're in that game, Wisconsin, that is, is because of the defense and creating turnovers and, you know, JT Barrett throwing the ball to Andrew Van Ginkle and, you know, get, uh, him picking up a fumble later on. I mean, th- that's that's what they're going to have to get. They're going to have to make Justin Fields make some plays that he has not made to this point of the year. And, you know, just the mind-boggling interception. Like, we haven't seen that from him. Wisconsin's going to have to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's it's the limiting of turnovers, which is the answer to every game ever. Right. But you can't give up big plays either, which, I mean, that's the biggest concern, for honestly, for me, out of what we saw against Illinois. Yeah. It's not this other stuff. Like, okay, Jonathan Taylor fumbled. J- you know, Jack made one poor decision, and it wound up costing the team. They repeatedly gave up big plays. Illinois, I think, had at least seven plays that went 15-plus yards, and Ohio yeah. State is tied for ninth in the country in plays that have gone at least 20 yards. It's like 47 plays. Right. So... 
that's the biggest concern is in my mind is you you start giving up that stuff and you're in big big trouble. Right. Secondary wise, do you see another change? I mean, we Dante Burton had gotten the lion's share of the reps the last two weeks. Gives up the long pass play, gives up the penalty, gets taken out. Caesar Williams replaces him. Fayon Hicks was in and out of the lineup. I don't think we saw Deron Harold barely at all. This all goes back to the quote-unquote injury report that's actually probably a status, which has now been renamed a status report. So I don't think we're getting the full list of guys that are dinged up. They need their top, like their top guys, I think we can admit, are Deron Harrell. They want Deron Harrell on the field. Fayon Hicks, Rashad Wild Goose, uh, Eric Burrell, Reggie Pearson. That's what their nickel would be if they if they had their, their druthers. And on Saturday, at the end of that game, Madison Cohn was in, uh, playing in the, in the slot. You know, they're they were uh, Burton was in, Caesar Williams was in, Fayon was in and out. I mean, it was just not it was not ideal for what I think Jim Leonard would want. But then again, Jim Leonard switches guys out like they're like it's just a different day of the week. Throw a different guy in there, and I don't know. I wonder how that plays with them. I, they, he's done it for the past two years. For the most part, it's worked this year. But I that seems so difficult. Just like on the offensive line, I think it's so difficult to get in any kind of rhythm at those two spots coming in and out of games. I don't know about you. I mean. In terms of in terms of what you think you'll see from that group on on Saturday, it's hard to know because we don't know who's going to be healthy and what, play what, their what they're going to do. But yeah, that, and all the way around, this has to be Wisconsin's best game of the season to give itself a chance. And it's just it's hard after watching what they did against Illinois to think that uh, they're going to pull it together in a way that's going to allow them to win. Would this be the biggest upset for them since Wisconsin beating uh, an opponent, beating Ohio State? Yeah. Yeah, in terms of that, yeah. 2010 against number one Ohio State when they were 18th in the country. That was a home game. It was a home game, but I think they were I think they were a 10-point underdog in that game. Um, I would say, I, I mean, the Big Ten Championship game in 2012. When they beat when they the beat pants Nebraska. off Nebraska? Yeah. Was Nebraska favored? Oh, yeah. That Yeah, that was a weird season because Badgers got in as the third-place team because Ohio State and Penn State were ineligible. Right. Um, I mean, it'd be up there. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean... Uh, in this decade, and again, I started covering this team in 2011, so I was not present for that 2010 Ohio State game. To me, this would be as big as any of them. See, but there was a feeling going into that game that they could play with Ohio State. Like there was a good feeling. They were coming on. They had lost to Michigan State earlier that year, but they had some horses. They were putting up a ton of points. They were coming off a win over, I think, Minnesota. Like they were feeling good about themselves in that one, and it's a completely different feel right now. And again, back then was not covering the team, so I was not there every day. I don't know, but you could just feel at home, night game, like it all ratcheted up to what we saw at at eight o'clock that night. This is a little bit different. Eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. start, coming off the worst loss in at least the last twenty years. It's gonna be tough. What do you think? They what do, what do, what, do you, what do you got score wise? What do you think? I think Ohio State's gonna win. I don't think it's gonna be some type of crazy blowout because Wisconsin generally, from what I've seen, plays. Really good teams close. They just, outside of that 2014 Big Ten <laughs> championship game. Um, 59 The 59 nothing one. Yeah. They've played Ohio State close. They've lost six straight. Five of them have been by single digits. So maybe they lose by 10. I don't know. <laughs> we shall see uh, come Saturday as Wisconsin looks to bounce back from the loss to Illinois. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.